Do you like extra content? Do you like supporting your favorite creators? Well, do we have good news for you? We have a patron. No, not a Patreon, a patron. What's the difference? Literally nothing, except for the fact that our patron is through Podbean. We have donation tiers at $1, $3, $5, $10, and $15 per month. At $1, you can join our Discord server and have access to monthly bonus content. At the $3 tier, you can watch our unedited video versions of our podcast that are definitely not safe for work. To join, just visit our link tree in the episode description and click Become a Patron. All right, and welcome back, everyone. Part two of Albert Fish. Part Fucking... two of the Pussy Poppers. <laughs> <laughs> Bad times here. We're keeping it going. I don't like it anymore. Honestly, like, at just... this point, it's, it, it, we are on to penis popping now. Yeah, well, hey, well, well we kind of did. We did penis sliding, <laughs> slicing last episode, so. Oh, um, if you like needles in your tank, then this is the podcast for you. <laughs> debatable we will king shame you but yeah we'll be there <laughs> oh like yeah it i mean i'm jeff i'm adam i'm nick i don't want to be here though um i'm still drinking the same thing i was drinking last episode which is michelob ultra and the really shitty whiskey because we're recording this right after part one <laughs> i am also drinking michelob ultra but this time i'm not drinking the lime one i am drinking peach pear this is equally a shit uh, I'm still drinking. No, okay. I'm still drinking real McCoy 12 year. Uh, I haven't. Are you not fin- pounding it yet? Uh, because the I didn't finish I put it. The, I put we the finished bolt- an episode. You finished your drink. Damn it! There you go. Now fill her back up. <laughs> we got things to cover. Um, if you want sources, go back to part one. Uh, <laughs> Adam yeah. read something online. Uh, Nick watched some documentary off of some like documentary bullshit. I read uh, Serial Killers, Confessions of a Cannibal, The Shocking True Story of Depraved Child Killer, Albert Fish by Robert, Kel- uh, Robert Keller. And uh, I also read Albert Fish in His Own Words by John Borowski. Borowski. Oh, I burped halfway through it. So, uh, all right. Shall we, um, shall we just get into it? Yes, indeed. Yeehaw. Do so me hard, we, daddy. As I said, you want to talk about that or episode, <laughs> what? Can we Never keep shame now? People. Yes. I thought Fuck we didn't. You. I thought we didn't keep shame. No, no, no. We in our ads, shame you. We ask people to bully us. So, oh. what do you think's going to happen to you, Nick? Uh, so, where we left off was I don't like it here. We last episode we talked about Albert Fish's upbringing, his early life, all of his perversions and fetishes uh the start of his criminal career all that well we didn't talk about all the children he molested but all the people that we talked about some of the things that he did leading up to some of the bigger cases he's known for we talked about uh francis who he lured into the woods and strangled with his own suspenders in a very graphic way we talked about um billy gaffney the start of that and his disappearance and we talked about grace bud's disappearance and we left off when she didn't return home after going to the party with 
the quote unquote party with Albert Fish, aka Frank Howard, aka Albert Fish. Understandable though. So after Edward had reported Grace missing, the police then showed up to the Bud's house and questioned them. Um, the Buds told them the address that they were given by Fred How- or Frank Howard, uh, and the police told them that that address doesn't exist because Columbus ends at 109, not 137th. So immediately fucked there. Um, they also found no farm in Farmingdale was owned by someone named Frank Howard, and then they asked for the Western Union, and uh, that's when they realized that it was no longer there and Frank Howard had taken it. But this is okay, because they went and tried to find the Western Union that it was originally written at where the original copy would be. The police had a few suspects uh, from neighbors, but all those led to nothing. Um, They sent out thousands of flyers over the next couple of days. They went to Canada, New York, surrounding states. Actually, like every head of any police department across America Um, They did end up finding the Western Union and got a copy of the handwriting from the Western Union. So they had that. That's actually impressive for that time. Right. Especially New York. New York was still big back then, too. Like, we'll find the specific (laughs) Western Union in all of New York. Yeah. That would have to be a pain in the ass. Yeah, that had to be some serious police work Uh, back then. So in August 1928, a prison warden from Rayford, Florida... Uh, contacted officers um, involved in the Bud investigation. So he, like other law enforcement officials across the country, uh, Blitch is his last name, uh, had received a flyer about the Bud kidnapping. After reading through it, uh, he became convinced that Frank Howard was a former inmate of his who was a con man by the name of Albert E. Corthall. Or Corthell. Corthell had been released two years earlier, and according to Bleich, he uh, closely matched the description of Frank Howard. Yet again, I don't know if I went through this in episode one. Um, the description of Albert Fish is literally the most generic old man you could think of. I'm going to pull this um, up for you guys right now, just so you people on the unedited well, what do you, can what look What do you at mean it. by you people? Uh, you two fuckers. All right, that's fair. Um, he's a very uh, generic-looking old man. So where's my share screen? Um, here. Uh, he's pretty generic looking, really. Just looks like any other yeah. old man yeah. of the time. So, I mean, that description doesn't really fucking mean anything from what I would assume. But that, however, was uh, not the only reason that uh, Bleich uh, suspected Cor- Corthel. Uh, the con man had a habit of hiring prepubescent girls to pose as his daughters, and then um, Bleich believed that he might have kidnapped Grace for the same purpose. So they sent out a picture of Corthal. He sent out a picture of Corthal, and then the NYPD dispatched it, and they uh, wasted no time in showing it to the Bud family. The results were conflicting. Both Albert and Edward thought the man looked like Howard, but couldn't be sure if it was him. Uh, Miss Howard, however, was adamant that it was the man. The man in the picture was definitely the monster who had shown up at her house and uh, taken away her daughter. Um, She was prepared to uh, stake her life on it. But Miss Bud's identification, as we will talk about throughout this episode, uh, was highly questionable because she was driven half crazy by grief and concern. Um, She was prepared to point the finger at just about any elderly mustached stranger. Uh, 
Uh, she actually, when we'll get to it later, when Albert is actually caught, she's not allowed to come try to identify him because of how much she would literally just anyone they brought to her, she would say, yeah, that's them. Not blaming her. Like, I, your daughter's missing, but still. Also, by the way, that was all straight from the book that I read. Like, quite a bit of what I'm going to say is. Um, so then there was a William L. Vetter of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, because we apparently have something for everything in this country. Yeah, like, we got PETA and we got the SPCA. I don't know what... I, I don't... I never mind. I was, I was just drinking, man. You can keep going. I, no, I, I got nothing better to say to that. Okay. Uh, he told he told the police of someone matching the description wanting to adopt a girl, but then uh, skipped out after the first interview. He also matched the mugshot of Albert uh, Corthell, but uh, then it would be two years before anything else for this case would come up. Adds up. The police end up searching some man with the last name Pope. They search his, his apartment. Um, he has some weird things in there, like just a bunch of pictures of alluring poses from of women. And then he also had a swatch of brown hair tied up with a length of ribbon, which was a little concerning. But they ended up finding nothing from him. Uh, they also caught uh, Corthell. Um, but after a few months of trying to find enough evidence to make a charge for him, uh, the DA was forced to admit that he had nothing to connect Corthell to the abduction of Grace Budd. And on February 6, 1931, charges against Corthell were withdrawn and the police were back to square one. There is a kind of super cop in this in this whole thing, though. Ooh, I'm a fan of super cops. And I that like man was Detective William F. King of the Bureau of Missing Persons. He was a resolute investigator and King was as tough as they came. He had been a locomotive fireman and had served in the Great War before applying his unique skill set to police work. Early in the Bud case, King had been assigned to track down Albert Corthell, so no one was more disappointed when uh, when the charges were dismissed. So soon at well, so soon after he had eventually landed the fugitive. Nonetheless, King remained determined to catch Grace Bud's abductor. It, it would be safe to say that he had developed a near obsession with bringing the case to a resolution. By the spring of 1931, that resolution seemed further than ever. In June 1934, so three years later, um, New York hosted the U.S. Navy. So on May 30th, the entire U.S. fleet arrived. During this time, obviously, a lot of pictures were taken. In a picture um, in one of the newspapers was a woman wearing a white dress and a white-brimmed hat. Adele Miller believed it was Grace Bud, so she cut out the picture and mailed it to the Bud family, saying, "This is Grace Bud." But a couple days later, a 16-year-old Florence Sweeney Sweeney uh, Sweeney went to a police station and identified herself as the girl in the photo. So back to square one again. Yeah, there was like 185 ships there, though. Whole fucking U.S. Navy. Yeah. Uh, this was what year? 1934. 1934. What class would they have been using? So it still would have been battleship. Fuck, I know what class they would have been using for the main battleship. Fuck. I don't remember. Uh, why are you I, even on this? Why are you on this podcast? You have one I job. I know, and it's a fucking random obscure military history. God damn it. I know. I'm that disappointment to myself. I know TikTokers that are doing better than you. I <laughs> doubt that severely. <laughs> no, I do. 
I, I, that this upsets me. The things he says hurt me. I'd like you to look at exhibit A, Charlie D'Amelio. I don't know who that is. Well, she was a TikToker and now has her own TV show because of how famous she got on TikTok. And I, you're here on a podcast with 20 listeners. It's, it's your podcast, too. <laughs> I don't know shit? what you're talking about. I am also upset by it, Nick. <laughs> what the fuck? I am just looking for you to maybe have as much compassion about this podcast as I do. I was. Fine, I'll look up what fucking ship it was. <laughs> God damn it. Hold what on. ship it was? It was 185 of them. I'm looking up which the USS Nebraska or Nevada was. He's going to look up every single name of those ships. No. And give us detailed. Wow, uh, how we only had 185. Uh, how we yep. had 185 ships with only 50 states. It was the, it was the U. It turns out the USS Nevada was part of the Nevada class battleships. It was the flagship. So, that's wow. Awkward. That information was almost more useless than you us you not giving us any. <laughs> uh, it was it was the only U.S. ship to be nuked at uh, Bikini Atoll during the nuclear tests. They nuked it twice and it didn't sink. They also painted it bright orange. This means nothing to this topic at hand, but you know. Well, interesting. Yeah. Um, so this still had an impact on the investigation. Uh, what I last said, not what Nick just said. Um, Fish still uh, kept up with the case in the newspaper, and he saw this. Um, so Fish decided to write a letter to the Bud family. How, which, how nice of him. Yeah, because, you know, that always goes well for fucking serial killers, writing fucking letters after the police don't get information right. Yeah. Um, but the reason he did this is because the... Uh, the story in the paper was a false story because King often ran false stories in the papers to try to chase um, about the case to try to stir up the killer. On November 2nd, 1934, there was a, an, a story written and it stated, I checked on the Grace Bud mystery. She was eight when she was kidnapped six years ago, and it is safe to tell you that the Department of Missing Persons will break the case, or they expect to, in four weeks. They're holding a Koki now at Randall's Island, who is said to know most about the crime. Grace is supposed to have been done away with in, in time, but another legend is that her skeleton is, is buried in a local spot, more anonymous, that is uh, I have a question. Yes. What's a Koki? Go ahead. Okay. They have that then? Oh, cocaine? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, I would hope so. It was the I main ingredient in Coca-Cola. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> otherwise, the Coke recipe's been a lie. <laughs> They've been lying to us this whole time. So after that story and Albert decided to write a letter, the Buds uh, received a letter. Uh, but Miss Bud was illiterate, so Edward had to read the letter, oh and he God. was horrified. And after he read the letter, he ran out the door without telling his mom what it was. Oh, and he Jesus. ran he ran straight to the police department and gave it to King. The letter reads as follows. The letter read as follows. Jesus Christ. You'll get there. I believe in you. My hey. dear Mrs. Bud, in 1984, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the steamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco for Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At that time, there was a famine in China. 
meat of any kind was was from one to three dollars a pound. So a wild was, thing to include. So great was the suffering among the very poor that all children under 12 were sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under 14 was not safe in the streets. You could go in any shop and ask for steak, chops, or stew meat. Part of the naked body of a boy or girl would be brought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's behind, a boy or girl behind, which is the sweetest part. Jesus Christ. A boy or girl's behind is the sweetest part of the body and sold as a veal cut. Uh, brought it. I, I believe in you. Thanks. A boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body and was sold as a veal cutlet, brought the highest cut or the highest price. John, uh, John said, uh, stayed there so long that he acquired a taste for human flesh. On his return to New York, he stole two boys, one seven and one eleven took them from his home, stripped them naked, and tied them in a closet, then burned everything they had on. Several times every day and night, he spanked them, tortured them to make their meat good and tender. First, he killed the 11-year-old boy because he had the fattest ass and, of course, the most meat on it. Every part of, the, of his body was cooked and eaten except for the head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass, bro boiled, broiled, fried, and stewed. The little boy was next. He went the same way. At that time, I was living at 409 East 100th Street, near right side. He told me so often how good human, human flesh was, I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, June 3rd, 1928, I called you at 406 West 15th Street, brought you pot cheese and strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her. On the pretense of taking her to a party, you said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers, and I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I, could, if I did not, I would get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in the closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run down the stairs. I grabbed her, and she, and she said she would tell Mama. First, I stripped her naked. How she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her small, cut her in small pieces so I could take the meat to my rooms, cook it, and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I did not fuck her though. I could, I did not fuck her though. I could have, could have if I wished. She died a virgin. I'm gonna give you a minute there to unpack all that. I that was a. Uh... A lot. That was way more aggressive than I thought that was I've, going to be. <laughs> also, I've it was really before. Yeah, so it was really hard to read because it's 1920 spelling where everything's spelled wrong. So in Google Docs, it's all fucking weird. Yeah. I mean, spelled like British? Uh, no, oh. just wrong. So yeah, wrong. It, it, well, <laughs> to be fair, American spelling came from the fact that Shut the, the fuck U up. costs an extra. Okay. No, I, I know, Nick. It's about newspaper printing, and they got rid of unnecessary letters to make room and the cost of ink. Yes. Just take all the joy out of it, why don't you? Why don't you uh, actually... I learned that in Hamilton. So I swear you... to God. There's no way. <laughs> you can't keep getting away with this! <laughs> huh. You can't keep getting away with this. So King matched the writing of the letter to the Western Union, and it was a it was a match. Um, 
but that was all he got from the letter. But the envelope um, on the back side was a six-sided symbol with NYPCBA on each side of the six-sided symbol. Um, there was an address under it that someone had tried to erase and scratch out with a pen, but King was able to read it with a magnifying glass, and it said 627 Lexington Avenue, New York, the Private Chauffeurs uh, Benevolent Association. Uh, King went to the organization, had them set up a meeting of the members. Um, he asked anyone if they left stationary anywhere outside of the office, and no one answered. After the meeting, uh, Lee Sikowski, I don't fucking know. <laughs> What's the name? Sikowski. It's Sikowski. I need to learn how to pronounce things. Um, and he said that he had taken some for personal use, and he had stated that he used to live at 200 East 52nd Street in Room 7 and might have left some there when he moved. So King went to the rooming house and talked to the landlady, Frida, uh, Frida Schneider, and stated, uh, she stated to King that this man sounded like Mr. Fish. She told him that he had moved out a few weeks ago, and um, King asked her if she had a book that the, they had to sign. She said yes, and he matched the handwriting of Fish's signature to that of the letter, and then um, asked her if she knew where he was going, but he hadn't pulled her. So she told King that Fish would be back in mid-December to pick up a check that he was supposed to receive from his son. So King rented a room from her, and he got room seven. He then contacted Fish's uh, son's paymaster to tell him to contact him when they were sending out the paychecks. So on December 4th, they were mailed out, and they were intercepted the next day. But Fish didn't arrive until the 13th to receive the check, and at this time, King was away at a meeting. And the landlady called him and told him to stall. And he told her to stall until he arrived, which she did. So when he oh, arrived, nice. Fish was sitting at the kitchen table with a teacup. He walked up to him and said, you're Albert Fish. It was a statement, not a question. The old man regarded him through watery eyes for a moment, then incli uh, inclined his head slightly and pushed back his chair. He got slowly to his feet in a hunched gargoyle-like maneuver. He crossed the room towards him, but he barely... He'd barely taken a step when Fish reached into his vest pocket and came up holding a razor blade. He slashed at King, but the detective easily evaded the blade's arc and, cl and closed a meaty hand on Fish's bony wrist. Fish let out a gasp of pain and slumped back into the chair. The razor blade went skittering across the room, and King said, I've got you now. <laughs> wild that this man tried to fucking just go for a fucking <laughs> dude half his age. Well, we don't know how old King is, but there is there are pictures of King with uh King really with Albert Fish, a solid fifteen years younger at least. Yeah. Oh, here's colorized photo. Oh, those are the eyes of a man who has no life. It's the eyes of a man who knows he's gonna die. Good. Uh, so during interrogation, King showed Fish the letter that he had sent to the Buds, and Fish said that he had sent it. He also admitted to being the Frank Howard who sent the Western Union. But when asked if he kidnapped Grace, he said he knew nothing about that, and King said he would set up a lineup, and as he walked towards the door, Fish broke. Wait, Fish said. King turned around to face him. I'm the man who took Grace Bud, Fish said. I took her from her home on June 3rd, 1928. I brought her to Westchester and I killed her that same afternoon. Pretty easy to get a fucking confession. But also That's from uh, what I read, King was very good at interrogations. I can only imagine. 
Um, he then told King that he never intended on killing Grace Bud, but in fact, Edward. He said he was going to take him to an abandoned warehouse and cut off his penis and have him bleed to death. Back to the penis cutting. He never said why he wanted to do this, but Fish talked about he was how he was disappointed how big and strong Edward was when he arrived, but decided that even after accepting Willie was going also, that he would try it anyways. He said that he just had to separate the two and that he had experience in these things. Uh, when he saw Grace, his plans changed, and that's when he came up with sending her to get candy and then telling the parents about the birthday party. He states that he was amazed at how easily, at how easy it was to persuade them to let her go. All right. Which I think we can all agree was wildly too easy. Didn't question yeah. a fucking thing. I, yeah, I blame the parents for a lot. And I feel like it's I'm within my right to do so. We'll see. Oh. So I'm going to read this next part quote as a quote straight from the book. So after leaving the Bud residence, this is what he tells King. After leaving the Bud residence, Fish walked with Grace to um, the station on 9th Avenue. There they boarded a train for Sedgwick Avenue in the Bronx, uh, where they switched to a train bound for Van Court Cortland Park. Um Disembarking, Fish led the little girl to the Putnam Division ticket office. He bought a return ticket to Westchester for himself. For Grace, he purchased a one-way ticket. During the 20-minute journey, Grace sat staring out the window, seemingly entranced by the lush greenery of the countryside. They disembarked in the town of Worthington in Westchester, where Fish was uh, so wrapped up in what was to come that he left the package behind on the train it was grace who alerted him of the mistake and then quickly dashed to retrieve the instruments for her own destruction fish took grace by the hand and set off on foot foot along sawmill river parkway the day was stifling hot and when fish asked whether grace wanted to take her off her hat and coat she said yes taking these items from her he folded the coat and placed it placed it in the hot hat atop his bundle the hot yeah up ahead, the road branched and uh, fish veered left. The path bent and became steeper. A half mile up, it passes the Cudney farm where old Miss Cudney uh, stood tinkering with a fence post. Fish tipped his hat to her. Uh, and then he took her to the place that he had pre-selected, which is an area he knew very well. Um, the two-story uh, clabbered house sat on a small incline some 30 feet back from the road. It was surrounded on three sides by dense woodland and on the fourth by a steep hill. A small wooden outhouse stood some 50 feet up the hill, and the place would not have been more isolated, and the locals called it Wisteria Cottage. It was now 3 o'clock in the afternoon, leaving Grace, Grace to play in the wildflowers in the garden. Fish walked towards the house and uh, skirted around the back of it the back of it he found a large flat stone lifted it placed her hat and coat under it and allowed the stone to drop back into place then he spotted an empty paint can lying in the grass walked over and retrieved it carrying it into the house with him inside the place it was very musty and damp and the bare floorboards strewn with mouse droppings wallpaper peeled from the walls like uh, streamers while the window panes were encrusted with so much grime that the sun the sun's power was considerably muted throwing the room the rooms into a sort of twilight he then removed the knives and set them on the floorboard of a second story room he then took off all of his clothes and stood in the window with a semi a semi-erect penis and then called for grace 
She then entered the house and headed up to the second floor. When he appeared, she yelled, I'll tell Mama, and then turned to run. Fish grabbed her by the throat and dragged her into the room. He got on top of her and dropped his knees onto her chest. He then strangled her to death. As she died, he had a full erection. He then grabbed all, he grabbed the bucket, put it under Grace's head, and cut off her head. Joy. Just joyful, really, if you think about it. It's a normal. Normal it's a normal Tuesday night. for the yeah. It's a fucking normal Thursday night with the boys. He then put her clothes into the closet and dumped the blood out the window. He then cut her body in half. Uh, he was going to drop her head into the latrine in the outhouse, but then thought it would be disrespectful. Oh, that was that was the straw for this dude. So that instead, so instead, he just put it on the floor of the outhouse and covered it in newspaper. Yeah, well, that's how considerate of him, right? Yeah. It's just how how polite and generous of this kind man. Uh, he then put the body in the closet and cleaned off his hands with clumps of brass. And then he got dressed and left. I, he was there for only about an hour. <sighs> this is an, just an example of what evil is. That's all it is. Yeah. As, as cut, cut and dry as it can be, that's just what it is. Four days later, he returned and disposed of the body by throwing it over a wall into some bushes. He also did this with the butchering tools. During the confession, he never said that he ate any part of her and um, that he had stated in the letter. Oh. This entire time during interrogations, he never brings up cannibalism, but also King never brings it up either. Yeah, that's... I'm amazed he didn't. That's kind so of is, there is. I think it was more of he just wanted to catch him mm-hmm. more than the exact. He, like he, he, needed, he needed enough to get him charged. He didn't need. He didn't want fucking PTSD. <laughs> so it was um, around 5 p.m. on December 14, 1934, that a couple of police cars departed the offices of the Missing Persons Bureau and headed towards Westchester with Albert Fish. Um, when they arrived, Fish seemed almost excited and led them to where he had killed Grace. When in the room, he reenacted the crime almost exactly. Then they went outside and he showed them where the body was. They first found the skull and then found bone fragments. The police uh, picked up Edward and his father but left Miss Bud behind as she was unreliable to identify Fish because of all the fucking times that she would just point fingers and say anyone did it. Uh, Edward entered the room to identify the man who took grace and uh, fish did not react to Edward entering the room, but Edward obviously lunged at him and tried to fucking kill him, but uh, was stopped by, you know, the like 14 police officers they had in the room. <sighs> he did a lot of lunging for an old guy. No, no, no. Edward lunged at him. Oh, that's understandable. I, I would, I, Yeah. Yeah. Big move. So. Yeah. Yeah. Not a great time. So with that, Albert is obviously arrested. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I fucking hope so. So when he goes to trial, it all hangs on whether or not he is found uh, like insane. There's that one point where uh, Fish was 
asked about uh, the Grace Bud case um, and why he had killed her. And he said, I don't know. I guess I must be crazy. Yes, I I must be insane. I'm almost sure that I am. Oh, I don't like this man. I don't like him one beat. So Westchester DA Frank uh, Coyne, uh, he decided to try to get ahead of the uh, ahead of everyone, and he employed two two uh, psychiatrists to examine Fish. The two men interviewed Fish separately in his cell and delivered the diagnosis expected of them by the DA. That while Fish was undoubtedly a deeply disturbed individual, he understood the implications of his actions and was, for the reason, legally sane. Hmm. That sucks. Interesting. Um, over the next few weeks, uh, Fish received several visits from detectives hoping to clear up unsolved child murders in their jurisdictions. Uh, also, witnesses would uh, show up to identify Fish as the man who attacked and tried who had attacked or tried to attack them. One of these was the story of Benjamin Eisman. The 26-year-old Eisman had encountered Fish 10 years earlier when he was 16, and Eisman had been sitting on the bench in Battery Park when Fish sat down beside him and struck up a conversation. He told Eisman that he was a house painter and could use a strapping young lad like him as an apprentice. Hey, Jeff, they would have gotten you. Oh, well, thanks. Is that a compliment? You would have... You would have gotten you. Well, you're a strapping young lad who was a house painter. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's a stretch, but it's there, I guess. (laughs) Unemployed at the time and desperate for any sort of work, Eisman had agreed to accompany Fish to a job in Staten Island. Um, They traveled by ferry to the terminal at St. George and then a train to another location. Uh, They went to a deserted cabin where Fish had instructed Eisman to remain outside while he went inside the house to fetch his tools. Uh, while waiting, Eisman was approached by an elderly black man who had warned him to leave. I've seen many kids go into that house, but none of them ever came out. That's horrifying. Eisman was, was alarmed. I hate that so he was al- much. He was alarmed enough um, that he heeded his advice. Um, so he I left. I fucking hate that so much. <laughs> oh, boy. Also, um, another one was in from Hans Kyle Hans Kyle in uh, February 1924 his 8-year-old uh, daughter Beatrice was approached by an elderly elderly oh my god elderly stranger with a gray mustache the man offered Beatrice a nickel if she would go into the woods to pick him a wild rhubarb this is the thing that i talked about in a pickle episode 1 a nickel oh i heard pickle and i'm like what what if he also got her a pickle yeah <laughs> How old is she before I make these jokes? The the girl, 10. Yeah, never mind. (laughs) They're all children, Nick. (laughs) I know. That's why I stopped talking. Uh, And then there was Billy, the Billy Gaffney case. Um, He disappeared from his home on February 11th, 1927, as I talked about in the first episode, and was spotted the same evening by a a trolley conductor. Uh, When... they said that he was the they one that did it. Trolleys that, in New York? Yeah. Hmm. Um, the fish. The poor people got around there. By the way, Fish know. denied all fucking these charges. Foot? Well, yeah, obviously he would. <laughs> fucking. <laughs> That'd be a power move. Um, but there, 
there was circumstantial evidence linking him to each of the crimes. <laughs> He'd either been working or living in the areas where the murders occurred or the MO matched what detectives knew about the Grace Bud uh, abduction, abduction and murder. Abduction. Fish's case was to come to trial in March of 1935. Uh, but Fish didn't give a shit what happened to him. He didn't care if he lived. He didn't care if he got killed. He didn't literally did not care. And that was a very big thing of his like when that came out like he just did not give a fuck what happened to him um but he did take a keen interest in his defense initially a lawyer named carl hazer was assigned to defend fish but fish soon grew dissatisfied with uh the young please attorney's effort to self-represent please no, tell he, me he, he just, he just no he just moved to have him dismissed um the lawyer he wanted was james dempsey a uh he was formerly a assistant district attorney no, wait, in westchester county and uh, he was also a man who had been recommended to him by other inmates. <laughs> so I'd like to point out free legal advice from Nick here. The one people, per, well, the one demographic you never want your legal defense advice come from people come in from prison is who in people in prison. Yeah, exactly. People who didn't, who didn't get out of beat prison. the rap. Yeah. <laughs> that means their lawyer was shit. <laughs> that or they just he got them off of the death penalty but uh the judge agreed hey jim bob what are you in jail for uh i was muling crack cocaine in my prostate ah what lawyer do you recommend my cousin billy bob so this is also around the time where uh frederick wertheim uh wertheim was uh introduced to the psychiatrist who did whose all of his stuff was released to the public in like 2010 because he was the one that talked to fish the most because fish opened up to him uh, this is where the, he uh, this is where oh, he comes in i love psychologists from like the 1890s to like 1930s where everything was yeah he wants to fuck his mom and have cocaine so fish um to, to frederick uh fish finally admitted that he had eaten parts of grace bud's body according to this is from the book most of what I, i'm just gonna say this now so we don't get fucking hit with a hammer later most of what i'm reading is straight from a book okay. one of the two books that i've been that is i read bad no no i'm just letting okay. everyone know so i don't get like you know fucking plagiarism charges or something if that's still a thing i from from college i just assume plagiarism is something that i'm gonna get a felony charge and get killed for um yeah <laughs> scholastic so. is just gonna take you out back <laughs> with a shotgun <laughs> So according to Fish, uh, he had tried drinking Grace's blood from the paint bucket after he decapitated her. However, the thick, warm liquid had made him feel queasy, and he stopped after just a few swigs. <laughs> Not sips. Swigs. This is a swig for the people watching. Fucking bonkers. This man took, like, several mouthfuls of blood. Who among us, right? Who, who among us hasn't? He then got to work with his butcher, uh, his butcher's knife, slicing about four pounds of flesh from her uh, buttocks and abdomen and also cutting off her ears and nose. These he had wrapped in a piece of old newspaper and carried with him back to New York. Riding the train to Manhattan, Fish had been in such a heightened state of excitement that he had spontaneously ejaculated. That's up. 
Um, back at his apartment, Fish had sliced the flesh into chunks and cooked it in a stew with potatoes, carrots, and bacon. He'd eaten the stew bit by bit over the next nine days, during which he remained in a near-constant state of sexual arousal. He masturbated often as he relived the murder and savored the taste of human flesh. He had also tried eating the nose and ears, but but had found them too, uh, like, grisly, grisly. Found them too hard to eat. And then eventually discarded them. But yeah, uh, Dempsey was delighted with uh, Fish's confession to cannibalism. It uh, it was to prove that Fish was insane because, you know, no one fucking eats another human being. <laughs> uh, there, It is a, um, there's a quote from Fish that he did feel bad killing Grace. And that quote is, the cell I am in is nice and Nice and light, but I can't stand that man cursing all the time. I can't read my Bible. Religion was always one of my strong points. I didn't smoke, drink, or chew. Always had my mind on the last three years that I had to confess. I realized that I'd never be able to do what I originally intended, carry the secret to my grave. Five minutes after she was dead, I had given every drop of blood to to bring her back to life. I felt so sorry. So yeah, his trial went underway on March 11th, 1935. Um, that entire day was just jury selection. They did over 70 people. <sighs> 70. Okay. I thought you, okay. The jury selection was 70 people for a second. I'm like, yeah. the jury was 70. No, people? no, no, no. They interviewed 70 people. Dempsey's whole defense was the fact that his client was insane. As we have already talked about, um, yeah. With the whole fact that he ate a little girl mm-hmm. and then, or no. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Dempsey. Um, then, obviously, jurors were warned that they were going to be listening to some grotesque stuff. Um, second day, they still had to select three more jurors and an alternate. Um, this carried through until the recess, and then after that, um, they made the opening statement, which I'm not going to read to you because it's long, but basically, um, this man ate a child. <laughs> that's not really technically what happens in it, but yeah, they make their, they make their statements. They go back and forth with their bullshit, you know, the usual stuff. Um, the defense, uh, they called fish's children to stand and testify as their father's like to their father's particular brand of madness, basically trying to say that he's been insane entire life and that he was constantly sticking things up into his fucking, uh, his taint and lighting his asshole on fire with wool that was soaked in, lighter fluid because that's pretty not fucking normal that's no 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 i i see their point it's some people come in they bring some people in to talk about the letters that he used to write asking to drink and eat their fucking urine and feces just doing not not okay things at no point during the trial did he or at least from what i know from what i read He didn't ever say that he cannibalized her, but, um, I mean, they got the point across that he did. Um, Frederick has no doubt in his mind that fish did eat her though. Like he spent the most amount of time with him. He heard the most from him and he believes what he said is true, but closing arguments started at nine 15 on Friday, March 22nd. And yeah, he was, Albert Fish was tried and sentenced to death. Wasn't executed soon enough. 
Uh, no, he was executed pretty quick. Oh, really? Nah. Uh, what what year was his trial starting? Um, his trial started. I read this earlier. In 1936, less than a year later. Hmm. Yeah, they got to him pretty quick. He says it takes like 15 years. So yeah, I mean, he his last meal he ate a hearty lunch of a T-bone steak, and then ordered a chicken dinner. And well, by yeah. that evening, he appeared to have lost his appetite. Um, although by that evening, he appeared to um, have lost his appetite as he didn't really eat much of it. But yeah. Would you care to know why we give uh, last uh, dinners and the one state that doesn't do last meals? Uh, the original purpose of last meals was that the prison guards didn't want the uh, prisoner's ghost to haunt them. And the only state to not do last meals is Texas after a uh, prisoner cost them like five grand and didn't eat a single thing. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So he was put into the electric chair, strapped down. They flip the switch after the priest does his little thingy. And at a precisely 11.09, the attending physician stepped forward, placed his stethoscope onto Fish's chest, and moments later announced that Albert Fish, the slayer of Grace Bud, Billy Gaffney, and Francis McDonald, and perhaps countless other children, was dead. And that is the, well, sadly, the trial's really, really wrapped up because it's trial stuff, and it's usually not really all that fun. Not that many great things happen during the trial, so thought I'd skip over that part. But that is the shitty, shitty story. Deposition from the janitor. That is the shitty, shitty story of Albert Fish and his, all of his perversions and his cannibalism and his killing of I can so many kids and people. Safely say, this is the most traumatic uh, drunken juror we've had in quite a while. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, I think our next one's going to be pretty fucking horrendous. It oh, doesn't great. involve any death, from what I know so far, from what I've read. But it's uh, if anyone who has listened to our Michelle Nodick one. Uh, Michelle Nodick is now maybe possibly in second place for the worst fucking parent in all of America. But we're all doing research this time for it, so it should go better. We'll see. <laughs> Even though the first one was really popular in our most listened to episode. Yeah. I'm about to be yeah, it was. start doing research in a couple days for the one after for the Irish assassination. I'm waiting for my audible credit to come in. I do that also. I already got mine, though. I got mine with December's. Actually, I think I need to use January's. No, I think I used my January one on. Whatever. Um, I'm still upset that I used... Um, so, my, yeah. last thoughts. What's everyone's overall thoughts? You guys didn't get to talk much throughout these two episodes. Um, I don't like cannibals. I think adults should stop diddling chittles. <laughs> I concur. Same. You hate to see it is against pedophilia. A really hard stance to take. <laughs> Very hard stance. <laughs> a, a there bold, is no okay. You hate to see it, podcast, stepping into where no man has stood before. 
the boldness of the times. We are against pedophilia. <laughs> With that, and all other things that harm human beings. <laughs> yeah, we that controversial statement which might actually be controversial in the next couple of years but you know pedophilia pedophilia will always be bad true all right well thank you everyone for listening to part two of albert fish uh go down to our into the description of this episode and click on our link tree to follow us follow follow us follow us on any social media hey sean connery is that you and at the top of the link tree is a button that says become a patron it'll take you to our pod bean and you can um become a patron at the one dollar three dollar five dollar ten dollar fifteen dollar tier uh it's a monthly thing uh monthly on the one dollar tier adam and i like we said last week um just started a a monthly movie review called you hate to see it goes to the movies where adam every month gives me a movie i have to watch because i haven't seen jack shit and then we review it. Adam gives me little tidbits of information and unknown things about the movie that most people probably don't know. And I definitely fucking don't because I didn't watch the movie in the first place. Um, I'll drop in occasionally. Yeah, nope. Nick might be there. Probably not. Nope. We'll probably kick him out of it. But, okay. Um, <laughs> Adam said no. <laughs> and then also at the $1 tier, you get access to our Discord and... 2020 and 2021's Taskmaster special, which are both absolutely wild and lit. I don't and remember the ending of uh, this last year. <laughs> that might have been the last time I got drunk drunk. No, I got drunk in New Year's. And then $3 tier, you get unedited video podcasts of everything we do. So you get the full length of everything, all the horrible jokes we make that we don't allow to go onto a, every other platform. Um, or just talk, things that we talk about in between like during the episode because we're idiots and we get off track a lot um, outside of that that's that's pretty much it so I mean Nick what you got for us well last episode we did the roar um, true. this episode it is your friendly reminder that us here at You Hate to See It are not professionals, never will be, but we do pedophilia. condemn pedophilia. Hell yeah. So we have that going for us. We're doing something right. We hate all the right things. Yes. You're Rock. the one that hits. You're, you're yeah, the you, that you're the it. one who ends this, buddy. I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know my job. Do you, okay. The one time we want you to press the red button, you don't.